third Sunday in the month. And I just wanted to quickly show you a couple um, pictures of um, two of the main areas that we as a church support missionaries in or areas of missions work, and that is the Philippines and India. And so uh, I wanted to encourage you. Uh, this is a well worth it. Th this, this picture here is uh, just of the Philippines. And um, recently we, we're supporting missionaries that actually involved in feeding programs. And, uh, well, Pastor Margaret actually this is not her feeding program, but another church we ministered at, Pastor Joel. And uh, God's just doing great things. And can you see all those, those houses behind them, all those their units? Some of them are painted on the right and some of them aren't painted. And I just want you to know that um, this is the houses that were built after the tsunami two years ago and after the typhoon went through and killed over 6,000 people. And they relocated some of those people who were living kind of in vulnerable areas and the houses were destroyed. And they re the government rebuilt those houses. Well, they didn't actually rebuild anything. They just built brand new ones. And so you can see where these children live with some of their parents in some of those units. So uh, that's always good news, isn't it? Um, the second slide here is just Pastor Margaret's church. And you can just see uh, it's fairly full. That's because God's doing a pretty dynamic thing. And Pastor Margaret is the missionary we support in the Philippines. She has a place called the Center for Change. So out of that Center for Change, she runs an orphanage. At the moment, she has 63 children. And she also runs a school. Um, she also runs a bakery. She runs all these, all these different houses that are set up. Um, I'll just show you a picture of that. You can see some of the houses that are set up for the children. Pastor Margaret's house is right at the back there. So, you know, there's just a great work happening. And I think for 28 years or thereabouts, we've been supporting that work in the Philippines. And uh, I want to just thank you, church, for all that you've supported that area and what you've done there. It's been brilliant. It is paying off. Lives are being changed. Souls are being saved. And we're pretty excited. The other area I wanted to show you was India. Just recently had the opportunity to travel there because we've never been to India to see where our money is being poured into. Right there is 450 pastors. In the last 20 or 29 years that we've supported Roger and Daphne Saunders, that's what they've established. 300 churches. Uh, and here are the pastors of those 300 churches. And so... Um, the leader of that movement is just there at the front. He's interpreting uh, just on the, on the front there. His back is towards us. His name is Bishop Pompey. And he looks after all these uh, churches that are just, they're planting churches all the time. I reckon that's exciting. 120,000 people have come to the Lord in the last 30 years just through this movement and federation of churches alone. I reckon that's exciting, isn't it? Where India is a mainly a Hindu country and a Muslim country. God is doing something incredible. So, and we're a part of that, and people are coming to Jesus. Here's another picture of one of the night meetings. That doesn't look like it, but there's about three or 4,000 people there at least. And that's just one little village. As I've said, India is a big place, 1.3 billion. And uh, in the state of Gujarat, there is a lot of people. And this was just a village. And they all came to this meeting, and many committed their life to Christ. Many were ministered to, many lives were touched. And so, uh, very hungry for God. This is how they feed them, the pastor's conference. Ladies, how would you like a kitchen like that? But at the pastor's conference, for the whole week, they fed them for lunch and dinner. And it's just not a matter of, you know, bring out the, bring out the Weber and, and cook up a steak. Because in Hindu, 
Hindu religion doesn't allow you to eat cattle anyway, but not that they're Hindus, it's just that culture over there is don't eat meat. My goodness, I was so surprised. I went to McDonald's and they don't have a beef burger. Don't ask for a beef burger in India. That is, a, that is a, um, an offensive statement. <laughs> they have fish, chicken, not beef. Anyway, this is how they, they uh, you can see in Dion, Pastor Dion Hockey's there. He was ministering as well with us. And uh, this is how they feed them every day. So I think I've got one more. Uh, the man in the middle with the white beard isn't Santa Claus. He's Roger Saunders. That has been the gentleman we've been supporting for 28 years and his wife, Daphne. And they've done an incredible job in India. And while I was over there, this was his last time. He's retired now and uh, he's settled back in Australia. And these are, the, um, these are the pastors of the movement that look after this whole federation of churches, along with Pompey, the little guy on Pastor Roger's right. Um, if you're looking, it's on his left. At the, and there they're giving him a check for just over 1,800 Australian bucks. Uh, that's the least they could do. They just, they love, they so much poured out their love and appreciation to Roger in the time I was there. Just love this man for his commitment to them, to serve them and to love them. And what a wonderful missionary we've been supporting. We're going to continue to support the Federation in India as a church and continue to see God do incredible things. See the man on your right who's looking kind of into the camera. He's one of the leaders of the movement. There's an incredible story about him. This is just the miraculous grace of God. When he was a teenager of about 13 years of age, and Roger and the missionaries came in to preach the gospel in his village, he took some rocks and threw them at them. So he kind of persecuted them. He, didn't, he was a Hindu. He didn't want Jesus Christ coming in and upsetting his beliefs and religious systems. So he was pelting, stoning them. And now we see, uh, probably not many years after that, he came to the Lord, and now he's one of the leaders of this whole movement. Isn't that the grace of God? And so... Uh, you know, God is doing a great job, and I think that's all we had. I think that's it. So this morning, we're just going to take up our normal tithes and offerings. The first offering will be that. Uh, and then the second one, if I just ask those who are coming to take that, could do that. The second offering will be missions offering. You'll know because there's different colored bags, and you're welcome uh, to give into that missions offering. The other thing that I just would um, present to you, the men, of course, are going... Next weekend on their camp to, on an Anzac weekend at the Boyndale. And what's happened is through this week, they've gathered quite a few men that are coming from the men's shelter to this camp. Now, these men don't earn money and they certainly don't uh, have any um, income, you know, constant income. And so our men just wanted to support those guys and pay for their, you know, their registration fee to come to this um, camp, tent camp. And so we were just going to put it out there as a church. If you wanted to give towards that, you can after the service. Uh, maybe you can come and just give the money to Tians. He'll then put it through the church system and the money will be used for the men's camp. Uh, tonight, we'll probably take up, we will take up a second offering for that. But So just so we could support these guys who are coming from the men's shelter to this Christian camp. I reckon that's a great opportunity, don't you? Present Jesus to these guys. And so uh, you can be a part of that. It won't be part of the offering, so to speak, but you can give. I'm sure Tins will take that money and he'll put it through the, through the systems and everything will be right. How about we stand this morning as we come to give our tithes and offerings and then the second offering will be missions. Let's pray. Let's take what we're giving this morning in your hand and just be thankful because we live in a blessed country. We have so much, so much. And Father, we thank you for the so much that you've given us, for the provision, uh, Father, Father, 
um, some of the problems we have just uh, pale into insignificance compared to those that we would give into as missions this morning, some of those people and what they live in. But we thank you, Father, for what we can give of our tithes and offerings. We thank you that we can give our missions offering today. We'd ask you to just multiply it and take it. And Father, even it says, given it shall be given, that we may receive so we can even give more. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed, said? Amen. Thank you, everybody. Let's just take up our tithes and offerings, the first one. And then the second one be missions. seated. Father, we pray for Alice Marbach this morning and just her being in hospital. Uh, we pray that your hand would be upon her, your healing touch upon her body. We thank you that she's been part of our fellowship for decades. And God, we just pray that even in this senior year, she just know your peace and joy right now. We commit it to you. Father, we also pray that your word would just be, uh, Father, quickened in our heart, that it would just be open, receptive to what you would say to us. Not just what I'd share, Lord, but what your Holy Spirit would want to speak to lives today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. You may take a seat. All the young people may are dismissed to go to the YPS group discipleship class this morning. Pastor Malcolm is out there. Hey, thanks, team. Why don't you give these guys a hand? I think it's always good to have a brilliant job. Leading us in worship, we appreciate you guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Dale. There's not one of us this morning that wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, say that if at all possible we would and, and we could ha- have this happen in life that we'd never want any trial or struggle or issue to come our way. Would it be great if life was trial-free, struggle-free? Um, never had anything that came our way that we could look. And if at all possible, every person here this morning would say that would be a great life to lead. The reality is, is that doesn't happen, does it? Uh, because we live in a fallen world, a world that uh, unfortunately is not perfect. Uh, it was the plan that it was going to be perfect, but in the original, you know, Garden of Eden, but that never happened. And you know what? Uh, I'm not going to look back in regret. I'm just going to look forward in what I can do in the midst of a fallen world. And you're here because there's a good news, there's a good message around this world, and that's the message of Jesus, isn't it? You're here this morning because of that. And, you know, as I was contemplating the struggles and the trials that I go through and all of us go through at different times, I started to think about how my reaction in my trials and struggles has been over many, many decades, and I started to think about some of the reactions I had that the things that really weren't warranted. And so as I started to drill down on that thought, I thought, what did Jesus never say about our trials? What did Jesus never say that I sometimes assume or allow to happen and I need to learn? What did he never say? And so I just want to put up a slide there. Uh, words I never said, talking about Jesus. This is my sermon, words I never said. It's, 
That's the title this morning. Words Jesus never said, what Jesus never said when we're going about our trials and struggles. And in that way, I, I just believe it'll bring to light some incredible truths and encouragements, I pray this morning, for all of us. So let's just, just begin. As I started to think about the things that I face in life, and I've faced plenty of things, and people have come and shared with me their struggles, what's something that Jesus never said, but I seem to sometimes, in the past, have done? And it says, Jesus never said, don't worry about me till you have a problem. <laughs> Jesus never said that. He never said, just don't worry about me until you have a problem. And sometimes I've found in past years, probably not so much lately, but in life I, I've done that. I, I, I only get real close to him sometimes when I really have the greatest need or the greatest struggle. You know, when I was uh, 13 years of age, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. It was a great day. Who can remember the day you committed your life to Christ? No one. Okay, right. <laughs> Are we there this morning? And at 13, my, my cousin led me to Jesus. He didn't lead me in a church. Uh, he, he came on holidays to stay with me. And he led me to Christ. And I knelt. He said, one day, I've told you about Jesus. Do you want to receive him? I said, I definitely do. And I knelt um, down and, I and he said, you've got to pray a prayer. And you know, the, basically the prayer went like this. God, you are all right. And God, I am wrong. Now, that weren't the exact words. But basically, that's the foundation of what the scripture says, isn't it? Because, because reality is when we come to Christ, we acknowledge the reality that uh, I need to turn away from what I'm doing because the things are going to destroy me and I need to turn to Him. The Bible says, repent of our sin. They're good words to use, aren't they? Let's never divert or sway away or, you know, away from that reality. I needed to repent from my sin and I did that and then I accepted Christ into my life. And in the process of, of, of the months afterwards, I, I, I kind of was living, I'd become a Christian, but my cousin went back to where he lived, and I was left on my own to fend for myself as a Christian. And one of the things I found is I never prayed anymore. And the reason I didn't pray anymore is because I didn't have any more needs. I was young, and, and I thought, well, and this is my theology, is the theology that I had about God and, and the whole thing was that God... You're more of a spare tire than a steering wheel of my life. These were the early days of my Christian walk. And when I need you, I'll pray. If I don't need you, I don't, you know, I needed you to, for salvation. I needed you to accept me as your child. So I prayed. But now I don't really need you. It's okay. I'm doing fine on my own. And so my theology, my theology was basically spare tire, not steering wheel. I think we can understand that. And, you know, uh, life continued on. It wasn't until I actually worked it out as I read the scriptures that I needed to go to, I needed to be a part of a fellowship of believers. And so I walked one Sunday morning and found a church. It wasn't this one in Gladstone, but it was another one, and I eventually came to this one. And then they taught me that, you know what, Jesus is, uh, he's not just an insurance policy, he's, he's actually wants to help you, not just in the needs, but he actually wants to help you do life. And he wants to direct your life all the time. And so I, I thought, of Jesus, that's the reality. Jesus, you never said, just uh, worry. You never said, worry about me until you have a problem. He says, put your... Jesus always talked about something, reality of putting him first, didn't he? All the time. Whether there's good or there's bad. Let's look at what Jesus actually did say. He said this. Not this one, but this one. Mark chapter 8. He said, what will it profit a man or a woman if, he, if they gain the whole world and lose their own what? 
soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus here in this scripture is talking to successful people. Uh, they don't, um, and at the moment, they don't really have that need that they can see of, of uh, actually having him so much involved in their life. And, and, and in simple terms, they haven't got a flat tire. Do you know what I mean? They just haven't got a need. Uh, and they, maybe they believe in Christ, but the reality is uh, the insurance policy is what Jesus is and is nothing more than that, possibly. And so here's the danger of that. Um, Jesus was saying, if you treat me as someone you pull out when you get into trouble, you might find that you'll never need me. That you'll never need me. And the tragedy of that is you could find that you may gain the whole world. Isn't that true? The whole world, only to find at the end of it that you have material abundance, uh, but spiritual bankrupt and eternally lost. That'd be, that'd be a danger. Would you agree? That would be a danger. And Jesus said, the most important thing is, is your soul. The most important, thought, important thing about you is your soul. Your outer body is, is wonderful. It's important. Look after it. Exercise. Eat. Probably do all that. But the most important thing about your life in eternity is your soul. And so for you to never need me, I mean, for you to just need me when, I, when you have needs, is a dangerous area to walk in your life. Because Jesus says, I'm not just there to help you in times of need, I'm there to help you direct your life all the time. And I want to just, you know, make us think about the reality that Jesus never said, you know, just need me when you have a need. No, I'm here all the time. I'm here all the time. As I started to think about what else Jesus said when we face our problems, Jesus actually said this. And this may seem a little hard, but the reality is the truth. Jesus never said, uh, if you follow me, you won't have any problems. Unfortunately, as I say, we live in a world that isn't kind and it rains on the good and the bad, doesn't it? He never promised that we wouldn't have any problems. Someone once said to me, you know, come to Jesus and you'll get some real good problems. Uh, but some people can be totally astonished when trouble happens. Why is this happening to me? This should never happen to me. And I don't, I don't wish for those things to happen to you either, but we do face their, their fair share of struggles sometimes. Um, so Jesus never promised he'd never have any problems. Let me tell you what Jesus did say in John chapter 16. He said this, A time is coming, and in fact has come. When you'll be scattered, and he's talking to the early church, each of, to your own home, and you'll leave me all alone, and yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. And that's Jesus um, talking about when he, just before he died, they all scattered and left him, and he died on the cross, um, except thankfully his Father was there, and uh, of course he rose again. And then verse 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world so we have we believe in an incredible heavenly father our god and of course jesus christ that has actually overcome the world that is there's lived in this life he's overcome it he's conquered it and he wants us now he wants to live within us and in the in, in the what he promises he said in the midst of this or we face we can have peace jesus says it, it won't be all smooth sailing and I've often asked the question, and maybe you've asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? 
A lot of bad things happen to good people. I'm not sure I've got all the answers for that, to be honest. I prefer to say this. I believe good people can happen to bad things. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I'd like to turn it around this morning and say, good people can happen to bad things. What am I really saying? I'm saying this, is that, you know, in the midst of what you face, in the midst of the struggle, the trial, the issue, the thing that you really didn't want to happen in life, I want to tell you, if God lives on the inside and God's peace can, can, can consume you and be your strength and be in your life, I want to say to you, why not? You're, if you're a good person, why not just turn it around and say, good people can happen to bad things? Let me explain. You know, some years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine and he, he related a story about a pastor in Ipswich who was an assistant pastor. And what happened was is the assistant pastor's wife contracted a cancer. The church prayed diligently for months and months and months. And so the pastor was saying, you know what? I'm looking forward to having a testimony of God's healing, miraculous power. And all the church agreed with him and all the church believed with him. And unfortunately, his wife died. So now what kind of testimony does he have? Well, what happened was, is that several months later, he's up preaching. And he's preaching on Thanksgiving. And the, my friend, who was in the church at the time, after the service, came and talked to the assistant pastor and said, how in the world can you ever preach on Thanksgiving when your wife died three months ago? He said, I just want you to understand something. And this is when this, my friend was fairly young. He says, you know, I haven't got a testimony of God's miraculous power. But what I have now is a testimony of how God can sustain me through the midst of the struggle that I face. And the young man said, I got it. I can see what you're saying. And it goes on to, to speak about how this distant pastor and his testimony of grace and how God sustained him touched more people than in, many, in a situation than it did before when his wife um, was actually you know, dying and passing away from cancer. And, you know, I think if we can't get a testimony of miraculous healing or whatever it may be, and I believe for that and I want that and I've got no problems, but if it all turns south, why can't we still have a testimony? Why can't good people happen to bad situations? Is anybody here this morning understand that? Why can't we lift our voice again in praise and say, God, I am, because, you know, it'll, it can only do us good because God says, you'll have trouble in this world, but I'm gonna, I, I've overcome the world. Take heart take heart and maybe this morning you're someone that just needs to say i've got to take heart in the midst of my trial in the midst of my struggle uh, why don't you be a good person who happens to bad situations instead of bad situations happening to good people put our faith in him uh, no matter what the circumstance and and and, and let the reaction of peace in the midst of it now i know it's easy for me to say that i mightn't be facing what you're facing or maybe I'm even facing worse, I don't know. But I want to say, Jesus says, trouble may come, I've overcome the world, take heart. And so Jesus never said that we would have problem-free life. But he did say, I'd be there. Here's, the, here's the, another thing that I find that Jesus never said about struggles. Jesus never said that bad things are a sign that I've left you. Jesus never said that. He never said it, and yet sometimes when we go through our struggle, we feel like God has left us. We feel like the situation is devoid of any God's presence, of His, of His purpose, and we're wondering what's happening in our life. 
We're devoid of that. I want to tell you, he says, I never leave you nor forsake you. 28, Matthew 28, verse 20. To teach them, this is the last words that Jesus said that Matthew recorded. Some of the last words that he spoke in Jesus says this. Teach them to observe all things that I may have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. I don't know why they put the word low in there. There was a man on a plane once who was very nervous about flying. He was a Christian and, the, and another Christian sat beside him and said, why are you panicking? Aren't you a Christian? You can trust God. And he says, no, 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 there's a scripture that says, low, I'm with you, not high. <laughs> it's a dad joke, but anyway. Reality is, that is the truth. Sometimes when we go through life, we think, God, you've just, you've left me. <laughs> you've left me, why? And, it, and even the reality that you go through something, you think God's left you, it, it's, could be so, it's so far from the truth. You know, even in our worst moments of life, when we just engage ourselves in all the stuff that we want to do, independent living, just leave God out of our life, you know, God never leaves us then even. He's always there. It's just that we walk away from Him, don't we? Jesus never said that you're ba- the bad things that are happening to you are a sign that I've left you. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's the devil himself who would say that. Deuteronomy 31.6, um, God was speaking to Moses and he just said to the children of Israel, and God said, would you, Moses, would you speak to this to the children of Israel? Because they, they were going through the land and they were confronting their enemies and confronting whole tribes of people that want to kill them. And so they, they needed something from God and God spoke to Moses, to the children of Israel through Moses. And, and this says, be strong and of good courage, do not fear, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, he will not leave you, nor forsake you it's not going to forsake you you know god is you know god is not a bad marriage you know where maybe in in marriage maybe you know we we see people forsake each other or separate and that could be painful and hurt but i want to tell you god is committed to the marriage with you he is committed to his relationship with you and even when i'm not he is and here in this passage of Scripture, we see that God just speaks uh, through Moses and He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The interesting thing that I find with this Scripture, this was over 3,000, 4,000 years ago that was spoken and it's still relevant today, that God didn't say to the children of Israel, well, don't be fear and don't be afraid because I'm going to wipe out every enemy that's in your path. You won't even have to confront them. I'll just destroy them. He never said that, did He? It wouldn't have been great if He'd said that. Everything you face, every trial, every struggle, I'm going to wipe it all out. And so that you could just have a smooth path. I want to tell you that I've discovered that spiritual muscle is only built through spiritual trial. And if I want to be limp and sometimes just uh, very lazy or very spiritually devoid of any strength in my life, just let my life have no trial or struggle. It's not, it's not an easy statement to make this morning because we go through things that just don't seem right or good. But, you know, I've discovered that God built something into my life. When I was uh, in my, that's 16 or 17, I, I, um, I learned to sail and I'm not a sailor. I haven't done much sailing since, um, to be honest. Um, and I wasn't the best of sailors, but I had a friend who had a little sailing boat and I'd take it out into those days was called the lagoon. It's been now filled in in Gladstone. And I'd sail around the lagoon and I discovered something about this little sailing boat. The very thing that wanted to propel me forward was the very thing that kept on knocking me over. 
I put the sail out in my early days and the, I didn't have the sail set properly and it just knocked me over. Thankfully, it was a self-draining little boat and so I'd pull it back up again. I spent probably, of the hour they you know, would spend sailing, I'd spend probably half an hour pulling the silly thing back up. And so I learned something that, you know, the very thing that wants to knock me over is the very thing that will propel me sometimes. And in your life, the very thing that wants to destroy you is the very thing as we come and say, Father, I need your courage, I need your strength, I need you in my life, is the very thing, if we allow that, it'll actually be the thing that propels us forward into more than we've ever thought could happen before. Because that's what wind does, it wants to knock you over. But if you can set your sail to catch the wind, it'll propel you forward. And I reckon the setting of the sail is the setting of the presence of God in our lives and allowing Him to continue to invade our hearts with peace. And be what, I know that James says something pretty remarkable, I haven't got the scripture up there, but it says in James chapter 1, um, you know, it says, what does it say? It says, be joyful when you face various trials. And I'm thinking, far out. Uh, it's not easy. But with God, it's possible. So God never said to the children of Israel, I'll, do, I'll destroy every enemy in your path. What he did say, he said, I will be there with you in, on the path. I'll be there in the circumstances. And so sometimes I've got to remember that in the midst of what I face. Because sometimes I think, God, where are you? <laughs> Why did this happen? In those times after we get over the initial shock, can we just remember that he is there? He is there. The, the fourth thing, the other thing that I find that Jesus never said that I've struggled with is Jesus never said, when bad things happen, have, have a extreme views about what's happened. I want to just talk to you for a moment about those extreme attitudes of views we can have. The number one attitude that we can have is self-condemnation, where we just pile on the, on the pile of, well, this is all my fault and all this has happened and... And, you know, this, this has happened because I haven't done this or this or this. And it's self-condemnation. And the Word of God says that God, says that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a love power of our mind. And, he, and he, he doesn't want us to have condemnation or live in that realm of condemnation. Certainly, is there need to be a conviction? Certainly, for our lives. But condemnation is not where we need to live. Because I've discovered what self-condemnation does. It, it becomes harder to receive forgiveness. From God even, and even from others. They say, hey, you know, I forgive you. Oh, but yeah, you might say, yeah, but you can't forgive yourself. You struggle to forgive yourself. I've, become in, I've found in some situations it actually becomes hard. If we can't forgive ourselves, it actually becomes hard for us to even to forgive others. Because we think, in some cases, if I can get people to join my pity party, if they're struggling, I'm, if I'm struggling, they're going to struggle as well. You know, and, and it's not a good way to live life. Not a good way. Self-condemnation is, is the enemy's um, tramping grounds, I tell you. Just he wants to fill us with that. The second thing that I find is an extreme attitude of you is this self-denial. Self-denial. In other words, when we face a situation, we never give any thought that maybe just even a little bit of maybe, in some cases, not all cases, but just a little bit that what has happened is actually caused or partly caused because I just made a mistake or I just didn't do it quite right or, or what I could, you know. And when I've looked at something that happens in my life and, and, and come across something that I don't enjoy and it's a trial and it's a struggle, 
I've learned now, I didn't always, I used to sometimes be one extreme or the other. Maybe most of us have been one extreme or the other. Self-condemnation, it's all your fault. When it never was and never will be. Or I go the other way and say, well, I've got nothing to do with this. It's just happened. It's self-denial. They're both bad situations. I've discovered that when I'm willing to have a, a look at what's happened, the struggle I face, and if, there's, and, and if I look at it with, with sincerity in my heart and say, is there any part that I've played in this? And when I do, with a healthy attitude about life, so, condemnation doesn't come, but it just comes, okay, reality is I, I can see what I can learn from. And what I start to do is take responsibility and I start to grow in my faith. Isn't that true? I, I disregard what is not the issue. I disregard what isn't. Mine. And if it's got nothing to do with you, brilliant. Leave it alone. Don't you know, condemn yourself. But I have discovered there's something or any little area that I just got to walk. I can walk in responsibility and deal with that and move forward. I want to walk humbly and not arrogantly in life. Because some of us can walk through life and, it's, and it becomes an incredible burden to us, but we don't realize we're carrying it. And that is that nothing is ever my fault. And that doesn't do us well in life at all. As I said, there's some situations that aren't our fault. But you know what? I'd rather do a little bit of examination, say, God, speak to my heart. Show me. Help me to humbly walk with you so I can take responsibility and learn and grow in my life. When I was 18, I just received my license. Literally five days, I'd received my license and I had a car accident. Who knows that in the long term, sometimes a car accident at 18 when you just got your license isn't such a bad thing. Okay, only one person. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> What happened was, as I went through an intersection, and I didn't look to the right or left, I just went through the intersection, a person came from the right, and there is a, there is a little law that says, give way to your, is that right? And he, and he, he got just, in, he just, I put the anchors on, but I clipped him in the back corner. My sister was with me, and it was her car. <laughs> <laughs> is she here today? Oh, where is she? Oh, there she is. <laughs> you remember the day? Yeah, 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 I know, Susie. She, she then went on a honeymoon and didn't have a car. So, yeah. She's a great... The fact that she's still here in our church is the fact that she has forgiven me. <laughs> um, so I clipped this guy. Thankfully, he was decent enough to stop, and we stopped, and we talked, and we exchanged phone numbers, and, and blah, 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 and... and, and uh, you know, we, he generally seemed okay. I went home and I poured so much condemnation on myself. Man, I, I had tears. I just thought, you know, my life is not worth it. And, you know, <laughs> all this stuff. And, and I just felt so bad about it. I started, within the two days, I started to get a little bit of a better view of the whole picture. The fact is, was I in the wrong? Absolutely. I went through the, I didn't stop. I didn't look. There was no lights at that intersection in those days. But the reality was, I did remember what the gentleman had said to us when we were talking to him. And he said, don't call the police. He was very adamant, wasn't he? Don't call the police. 
And the reason we think he didn't want to call the police is that we could smell alcohol in his breath. Ooh, now the plot thickens. Oh, now it wasn't my fault. It was his fault. <laughs> and so you go into this little period of self-denial. Oh, it was all his fault. He was drunk and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Even though he didn't seem drunk, he could have went for drink driving, etc., etc. And, you know, finally, after another couple more days, I still realized it was still partly my fault. And, you know, and I learned from that because I just learned that, you know, slow down, you're only 18, and it was a great lesson to learn, and thankfully only cost, you know, hundreds of dollars, maybe a thousand, I don't know. She's looking at the price now, she's trying to work <laughs> it out. It was insurance, but there is a thing called an excess you've got to pay, so anyway, that's all finished. But what I want to just say is there's just a, there was just a moment there that I went extremes, and then I just had to say, Father, what in this do I just need to own up to, and what do I need to not realize wasn't all, you know... Only God can give us that direction and freedom and wisdom in that sometimes. And it's not for us to sit and point fingers at each other and go, well, yeah, that's what's happened because you've done this. No way. You know, sometimes our mistakes are simply that. They're mistakes. I've made plenty of them. And, you know, you don't need me or someone else pointing at you and saying, oh. Because <laughs> Jesus had something. What did Jesus say about this issue? Let's look at John chapter uh, 8. There's a situation where the Pharisees brought this woman. You know the story. She was caught in the act of adultery. They throw her at Jesus' feet and they say, Jesus, the law says stone her. What do you say? And Jesus finally responds and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying to the religious leaders, Your condemnation of her is not warranted. Because you have ill intent of this woman who is doing, if, if we were to get the expanded version, this is what I'd say. You have ill intent of this woman who is doing the wrong thing. You have no desire to restore her, but to kill her. You have no grace and no mercy. And if you have never sinned, go ahead, throw a stone. That's the amplified version, mine. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. Can you see what extreme condemnation just doesn't do to other people, but it does to us? It doesn't bring life. It doesn't want to bring restoration. What it does is it wants to take life. It wants to stone you. And that's what condemnation will do. It wants to stone you. So when bad things happen, you know why? We need to understand God's incredible grace and love at those moments. So we don't go down this path of condemnation. The second thing that Jesus said about this to this woman, he said, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So now we see Jesus deals with her sin after showing her mercy and not condemnation. He doesn't excuse her sin. He directs her to life by saying, leave the lifestyle of sin. It will kill you just like the stones would if I didn't stop them. Can you see self-denial of anything I've done wrong? This woman was not in self-denial. She knew she's done the wrong thing, but she didn't need condemnation. And so I've discovered, here's the true understanding of the struggles we have. Don't let it stone you to death for what you haven't done wrong, the condemnation. Or just even condemnation, full stop. But don't let it kill you when you won't acknowledge it. But just repent and turn from it. So that's what, the two extremes. So in the midst of our trial and our bad situation, just understand the truth of what Jesus is trying to say and not condemnation, not self-denial and what he was speaking to our lives. 
Jesus said, there's no, Jesus never said this either. Jesus never said that there's no hope. I've discovered that uh, there, are hope, there are never hopeless situations. There's just hopeless hearts. And the situation we may face may seem like it's hopeless. It's, it's, it's not going to happen how we want it to happen. But I want to tell you that's not true because sometimes it's just that hope, sometimes hopelessness just doesn't get into our head. It gets into our heart. And we need to let God have that hopelessness because it's not hopeless in His eyes. Don't let it get on the inside of you. Hopelessness in, the, in, in your bad situation. Jesus said this. He was in the situation where this parent said, would you come and, our daughter is, is sick. Would you come and heal her? He got to the house. Not only was she sick, she was sick, all right. She had died. And all these people are now mourning. And he goes into the room and, and, um, and they're all mourning and crying. They're professional mourners. You can pay for them in those days. They come and, someone come and cry and weep. And Jesus said, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They didn't understand what he was really saying. And as I read this verse, I believe this is what the God would encourage you with today. If you would make room for God to work as you continually draw near to him and commit your situation in prayer and praise and worship, what you'll find is the very thing that you think is dead is not dead, it's just asleep. And as you would release God in his presence in your life and through the circumstance and diligently, you'll find that it'll wake up. Because Jesus took the hand of the girl and said, rise. And she not only just woke up, she rose from the dead. And out of the bed she got. And the victory was won. And the parents rejoiced. I want to just encourage you today. There's no hopeless situation. No hopeless situations, but sometimes hopelessness wants to get on the inside of us and we can't allow it. Because our God says in Romans 12 that He is the God of hope. Romans 15, sorry. Now may the God of hope fill you, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God's Holy Spirit, church, like never before. His presence in our lives. Amen. We need Him. We need Him so much because He fills us with His peace and His hope. And all that we need to face what we face. The things that Jesus never said. There's a gentleman called Dave Reaver I met in 1994. Dave Reaver, some of that, those names, you will recognize that man's name, some of you. It's an incredible testimony, incredible story. I had the pleasure of meeting him. I actually shook his hand. When I shook his hand, I was very aware of the reality of what he'd been through. Because as he shook his hand, he couldn't fold his fingers around my hand because he only had half his fingers there. They're all kind of chopped off at different angles across his hand. His thumb was just a little stub, but he shook my hand and he said hello to me. And I was actually at a national youth conference he was speaking at and I was assigned just to look after him that particular meeting, get him a drink of water and things like that. And I shook his hand and said, hello, Mr. Reeves, nice to meet you. He said, oh, good to meet you too. But his story is an incredible story of hope because it just talks about when he was, he was a nominal kind of Christian and he was an American soldier in the Vietnam War and he's going up and down the rivers of Viet Cong, uh, Vietnam and with the Viet Cong shooting sniper bullets at them from the shore. And what they used to do is they used to try and burn the undergrowth so they could, they had, the enemy had nowhere to hide as they zoomed up and down these rivers in these army speedboats. One day he was on the deck of the little army speedboat with a phosphorus hand grenade about to throw it into the un undergrowth. To, and that's what phosphorus hand grenades did. They burnt up the undergrowth. 
they exploded and just set fire to everything so there could be no, um, nothing for the, the enemy to hide behind. And as he lifted it beside his right ear, a sniper bullet went through his hand, through the grenade, it blew up. The phosphorus impregnated his body. Straight away, he lost about 30% of the flesh on the right side of his body. Just literally burnt off him. His ear, his right ear is completely gone. If you see him today, he's got a, he's got a plastic ear. And he can play piano so well. And what he does is he takes his ear off and he says, I play by ear. It's one of his jokes. Dad joke, but it's okay. And so what happened was he's standing on the, the deck of this little speedboat, American Army speedboat. He jumped into the water. Under the water, he's still burning. The phosphorus was just burning. They finally got him to hospital. And when they started to operate, as they put the scalpel into his flesh and opened up parts of him, he actually burst into flames in parts of his body because the phosphorus inside finally got some oxygen and air and just ignited spontaneous combustion. They finally kept him alive and they put him in a burns unit, to cut a long story short, put him in a burns unit in Japan because that was the closest area. America was kind of now friends with Japan. Put him in a burns unit. They had nine men in critical conditions of the, all of them and burnt in some way. He's sitting there, his, his whole sight body is wrapped up, his head's wrapped up. All he can see is his eyes and his little charred lips. He says, lying in bed, with, it, it was about eight days later after that happened. His wife had yet to get to him. In actual fact, none of these men had their wives come to them. And he saw one of the wives come into the Burns Unit ward in Japan. She looked along the road because she had to read the names because you couldn't recognize who was who. And she found her husband's name, and she looked at the name, and she looked at the man in the bed. He was so horrifically burned. She took a wedding ring off and threw it on the bed and said, I can't live with you anymore like that, and she left him. That man died within seven days. Why did he die? Well, Dave Reaver says he didn't die because of his burns. He died because he had no hope. Two other men had the same situation happen where they got letters from their wife saying, I'm sorry. I'm living another life now. You, you find your own. They died. His wife, the, the moment came for his wife to walk in to, to, you know, to come and say hello to him for the very first time. Her name was Betty. She walked into the burns unit. She found Dave's name at the end of the bed. She thought, that's my husband. She looked at this man, charred and you know, wrapped up. And she came around to the side of the bed and she planted her lips on the charred lips of her husband and said, welcome home, Davey. And Dave Reaver lived. And he says, the reason I lived is because my wife instilled hope in me, that she still loved me. I want to say today that we need hope. And Jesus never said that there's no hope. I wonder if this morning we can just stand and we can just worship our God for a moment. And say, Father, I acknowledge, maybe for some of you, some of these things really communicate to you some of the stances we've taken and some of the attitudes we've had. And, and I think I've just about had every one of them. And, and this morning, I just want to say, God, I don't want them anymore. I want to live in the reality and the goodness and the love of God and the hope that you give us. I don't want to live in my past regrets. I don't want to live in condemnation. I don't want to live in self-denial either, God, and not acknowledge where I can just grow and, and learn. I want to humble myself before you. I just want you to be God in my life. 
So we're going to just worship in a moment. And this morning, if you would desire just to stand before God and say, God, here I am. God, I come to you. I yield to you. And I thank you that you're well able that, Lord, maybe there's been some hopelessness that's tried to get into your heart. You just need to say, I don't want to have that anymore today. I, re- I just renounce that. I'm going to let, even though everything in within your brain and understanding is saying it doesn't seem like it could ever be a better situation, it never could be a better day, I want you just to say, God, I believe that you could bring a better day. I'm not going to go on what I feel today. I'm going to go on the facts and the truth and trust you. Come on, let's just sing this song. If you desire, I'd just love to stand and pray with you today. Because I believe the Spirit of God reaches out and says, come on, there's still some hope in your heart. Thank you, Father. Just to stay back for morning tea and just connect, that'd be brilliant. And particularly if you've just never been before, we'd love to just meet you. That'd be wonderful. Have a great day, church. Encourage someone. That'd be great.